Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. Today we are talking about minute or section 43 of American Graffiti. I am your host, Rachel Mummert, and I am joined today by Jim O'Kane, known throughout the minute movie-by-minute community for podcasts such as The Rocketeer Minute, The Apollo 13, and Airport Minute. Welcome, Jim. Rachel, thanks so much for having, having me on here. I, this is a fun movie, and uh, I am old enough to remember when it first came out. I was in the eighth grade when this came out, and uh, I can remember going, this was the hot movie of the summer. I, I know they always talk about Jaws being the first blockbuster of the summer, but to me, this is this feels to me like like the blockbuster. I mean, I can remember, you know, 14 years old and watching all these things that were going on in high school. And I was, I was going to be in high school the next year and it was all exciting. And this, am I going to have to learn about cars and stuff? Cause I can't drive, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was, <laughs> it was very exciting seeing this and, uh, you know, seeing people like Opie and uh, I mean, this is before, this is before happy days. So, you know, seeing Opie being not that great a guy and just, uh, yeah, just, I really felt for this film. So this, uh, it, it has a lot of great memories for me. And I know we've talked with other guests about how it just hits that nostalgia factor. I mean, a lot of, I mean, granted, I did not grow up in this era, but no matter what era, it kind of hits that high school, almost post-high school nostalgic factor. Yeah, yeah, it, de- it definitely feels, it's it buried way deep in your brain. I mean, I haven't watched this film. I've had it on DVD, and I think the last time I watched it was when I bought the DVD about maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So it's it's been a while, but it was nice getting back to it. And it still, it holds up very well. You know, there's there's some weak parts in the film, but it's okay. It, I, I like... I like the raw nature of it. I mean, it's it's filmed in that two perfect technoscope, which feels low budget. I mean, this this wasn't made with, with a, for a lot of money, but when you watch it, it's just kind of grainy. It has kind of a a little bit of a dreamlike quality to it. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's. I understand that Luke is supposed to have tried to shoot this like a documentary, but it feels more like a dream. It feels like more of how you remember, you know, growing up in the summertime and what it was like being, you know, it's, everything is moonlight, everything is everything is dark. You're out with your friends. You're out with your buddies. You're trying to impress, you know, potential romances going on and, and things like that. And you're just, you're, you're always so nervous that you're not as cool as everybody else. But it, it's, it, this is very enjoyable. And thanks really for giving me this, uh, this section in here, because I feel, <laughs> I can, I can really feel that I've, you know, I, I have had many toad moments in my life and I, <laughs> it's, it's all it's all very much a part of it, especially the uh, the part about uh, just getting violently ill when you're when you're out with somebody that you're trying to impress. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, and and there's always a crowd for some reason. You can't just do this alone. There's you know there's always somehow a crowd will form and you'll. <laughs> You'd be standing there with, um, gosh, you know, try, and it's, you know, like a first date and just, uh, although, you know, I do, I appreciate Toad's outlook on life. He's, I mean, we'll get into more in the, in the next minute, but he's just like, he has this kind of a, yeah, this is my life now. <laughs> <laughs> Very accepting of yeah, it's a it's it's a beautiful thing. I, I I do you know, and the other thing is, I mean, we're watching this movie. I, just the, this is all going to be stream of consciousness. Fair warning. <laughs> just, but the thing the thing that hits me on this movie when you're watching like uh, like Charles Martin Smith and Candy Clark, and you know they're all at the beginning of their movie careers. Even Ron oh, Howard didn't yeah. have that much in the way of like he was in he was in music all the little kid movies. He was in like Music Man and things like that. But here they're playing grown ups, and um, I, I really associate. You know, like 
all these people, when you see them showing up, Paul Lamette, Harrison Ford, you're seeing them on screen for the first time that they're getting major, you know, exposure. You know, nowadays, looking back on it, you say, wow, they were in this film, you know, like Suzanne, Suzanne Summers before Three's Company. And, and uh, you know, you've probably talked about a lot of this before, but just, just seeing them all, it's it's still amazing how how this was kind of like the uh, the first stage of their big you know rocketing trajectory into uh, into superstardom and we even get uh to tie it in kind of with the Apollo 13 um we have Kathleen Quinlan who plays yes. um Peg in this movie and I didn't know that until watching this and I yeah yeah and there she she later grow up and and marry Jim Lovell so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's just such a it's it's such a wonderful film, and I think even though you know it's set in the '60s, it was made in the '70s, but I think I think it can still talk to audiences nowadays. This is it, it's very much you know every every like this this was fast times at Ridgemont High for for the, for for people in the '70s. This was this is um, clueless or any of the other. It's just watching about what it's like. You know, this is the last night of being a, a teenager before having to face adulthood. And I think that's where a lot of this hits me is no matter the time that passes you really connect with the characters you know questioning should i do i want to go do i want to stay and questioning like what have i done with my life much yeah. as you know john milner kind of shows throughout the movie it really hits on those main things that are always going to be a part of a, a teen's life as they go out into the world yeah, and you're, there's there's so many echoes of this in in you know modern more modern movies. I mean, when you watch Days and Confused, it's the same you know the same character that's there where you're seeing somebody who can't get rid of high school. And he you know uh, it, with Paul Lamatt's character, it's John Milner, he he winds up being a babysitter, but he understands you, you know what this girl who's jumped into the car with him, what she's going through because he used to be there, and now he's like on the he's on the edge of all that. He's he, it, this is way he knows it's way past this time. But um, you know, just seeing all the all the changes, and you just want to. The older characters want to yell at the younger characters, and everybody, you know, everybody in the audience wants to tell them, "You don't have to worry about these things. Everything's going to be all right. Just don't don't make everything, you know, the, the the worst moment of your life." The other, there's a couple of things about this movie that that I identify with. When I grew up, I mean, this is 1962, and I was I was two years old in 1962, but I remember these cars. I remember people. I remember people like, you know, like like John Milner, like Toad, uh, working on cars, hot rods and things like that. There were all kinds of – I grew up in New Jersey and there were a lot of speed shops. So they, you know, there's things like that custom, the custom steering wheel and the Impala that Ron Howard's car there. That, as a matter of fact, that, that being an old Impala. I mean, I remember I, I've ridden in those cars and it just, you know, just seeing all the stuff, it's all, it's all in the vagueness of familiarity. I mean, I was just, you know, being a little kid, but I can picture going to the beach and, and seeing all these cars parked along, you know, parked along a boardwalk and things like that. And just when, uh, when Milner pulls up in his uh, in his hot rod, and the fellow's asking him about uh, that, you know, he took the header plugs off, which is the. I guess we can talk some. T- if you don't mind talking cars, we can. T- I can. Uh, much as I, much as I wish I were, I'm not that big a car fanatic. But there's a there's a mention in here where he talks about taking the uh, taking the header plugs off, and what what that means is he's trying basic 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 understanding of automotive uh, engineering. When the car is running its pistons, you have the power cycle that pushes the piston down. 
then you have an exhaust cycle that the piston goes up and pushes exhaust gases out into what's called the exhaust manifold. That's the ta- that that goes to the tailpipe. So that's a there's a constriction there. You have to get the ex- the exhaust has to get out of the way. So, but you're constricting it so it isn't in the front of your car. It isn't. It doesn't like the engine doesn't spew exhaust in in your face. It goes into a tailpipe. So when we see in this particular uh, episode here, the guy that runs the gas station uh, asks Milner, "Oh, I see you took your header plugs out." What he's talking about is he's opened up the header, the part where the where the cylinders push the push the exhaust gases into the tailpipe. He's opened up plugs that allow the exhaust to get out faster. So you're going to wind up with a you know with a face full of exhaust fumes going through your car. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> but it improves the it it improves the through rate, the power. You can gain like I think it's like ten or fifteen horsepower. You can gain horsepower by opening it up and just letting the exhaust blow into your engine compartment. Oh wow! So he's expecting to you know eventually race Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah, and most people watching this movie, you know, they'd hear that jargon going by, and they'd say, "Well, uh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds it sounds important." So maybe that was it. But that's that's what. It, and this guy who runs a gas station, who's probably replaced a lot of belts and plugs on on John, or though Milner works on his own car, but he's he's probably provided a lot of uh, material for him. And he's you know he says, "Okay, you're, that means you're racing tonight." And he can hear it. I mean, the, the engine is going a little bit different. It's going blah 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 blah. It, it it got it suddenly got louder. So which is good because that means that the well Lucas of course would know because he was part of that car culture but you'd have to make it a lot louder uh, now because the engine is basically blowing exhaust fumes all over the place but it's just it's it's fascinating hearing that and I can see Lucas being a, you know he, he was a real gearhead back then and I can see him being part of all this and wanting to be wanting to be the Milner character although I get the feeling he was more like the gas station guy <laughs> we see a, a little mention in the corner. It's, this is one of those things that you have to freeze frame on, but they're showing the different uh, oil prices that uh, yes. were available. I did take a screenshot of that because I was curious. And like you said, you had oh, I took a freeze frame photo of it because I'm like, okay, I want to take my time and read just out of curiosity, <laughs> just to read through yeah. the prices and the different brands of oil. Yeah, you can buy some like, you know, generic oil for 20, a quarter a quart. <laughs> so, but then, you know, you start, and then there's like Macmillan, which is probably just a, a, a no-name brand. But then you start getting into the real ones, Valvoline, Havoline, and uh, Pen, Pennzoil and Quaker State seem to be the, you know, those are those are the big name brands. And if you remember, um, Ron Howard's character is Chuck, is that right? I can't remember his name now. Steve, Steve, that's right. Yeah, I knew it was some one syllable bang up power word. Yeah. Steve. Steve, uh yeah, Steve told Toad to fill it up with uh with Pennzoil 30 weight. And I think what he was meaning was he wanted the multi-weight, the ten W thirty. So that's the most expensive one on that list. And, uh, you know, 65 cents back then, that's probably, you know, an hour's work. And uh, so fill it up with the the best grade there is, having that multi-weight, that multi-weight oil that'll protect it in warmer, cold weather. And he's just, you know, be careful with my... uh, with my impala that but yeah i i I used to work (laughs) among many many other jobs i used to work for an oil company and the stuff that goes in in the pens oil and the stuff that goes in on the on the basic brands if you're buying it it's all the same it's all coming out of the same pipe it doesn't really matter (laughs) but you know they, they they really were big on brand recognition so they were they were using what they thought was the best stuff yeah, it's just it's just so amazing seeing the uh, the gas pumps that only the operator. You know, the, I mean, nowadays unless you live in New Jersey or Oregon, you can't <laughs> you pump your own gas. But seeing those those old fashioned ones that don't have you know that you just turn them on and then it fills up until uh, you know whatever whatever amount you want to put in. Then you got to pay the guy that's that's standing right there. Yeah, I had to watch this 
a minute a couple of times because at first I, you know, he pulls around and they talk for a minute and then he just drives off and I'm like, wait a second. But I'm like, no, he didn't want to get gas. Like he didn't need to. They were just chatting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think they let him use the garage for free because he had to go in and pull those header plugs. So, you know, he was in, he was in doing that. It's it's just a beautiful just a beautiful scene. I mean, the lighting. I like the way that the light. There, there's a big stark key light that's hidden inside the garage. Uh, as as we're watching them, as watching him pull out of the uh, out of the garage that's next to the gas station. It's very stark. It, it makes the uh, it makes Milner's car just be highlighted in silhouette. Just beautiful classic classic view of the of, of it they're almost in like an island of light there's all those little those cl- classic fluorescent lights and it's just there's this little oasis of uh of guys he knows and familiarity and now he's got to go out in the dark and face uh, an unknown competitor i wonder about the, i see all the stp signs which stp was big back then there were there were oil treatments and fuel treatments for for cars to increase lubri- it, was, it, it was like extended lubrication and uh also improve uh your carburetor flow so there, there were a lot of uh, enhancement products that you could pour into different <laughs> different parts of your car to make them go go fast or supposedly make them go fast but uh mostly it's uh uh, oil detergents to help uh, keep knocking down and keep everything lubricated. So I think my question too with the um, pulling the header plugs, is that why Milner has the front panel on the engine like uncovered or is that just a cool hot rod that's just a, that's just look cool he probably has the uh he probably has the hood you know at home in the, if 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 it was going to rain he might put it on but it's just yeah it's just definitely to show that this is this is what he's got and you know you can you can go in and look at his it's a small block I think it's a Chevy engine but I'm not sure but it yeah it's just to show he's made a lot of modifications to the the engine that came with it I mean it's a 1932 Chevy so it's um he's made a he's made a bunch of modifications inside to improve the uh, the horsepower and improve uh, the pickup he probably has uh, changed out the transmission I think we see later that he has a Hearst shifter in there but uh, it's it's all most of it is for show you look at it and there's just all these you know doodads that are hanging on it's the equivalent I mean nowadays you see you know you see jacked up trucks with uh with neon or the LED lights underneath to change colors and stuff like that it's it's for show. It's just he's peacocking. <laughs> he he smokes camels because he's a tough guy. We can see him with a with a pack of camel cigarettes and this and the soft pack. That <laughs> yeah, the soft pack. Yeah. Everybody he bumps into, everybody wants to be Milner. I mean, the guy at the gas station wishes he were you know wishes he had a, a pack of camels rolled up in his sleeve. He always tells him, you know, you're you know you've always been number one and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Fonzie before Fonzie, so. One interesting thing, um, and I know I had talked with a previous guest about it to tie in, it's just one of the little things with, uh, since ever since The Mandalorian came out with um, Milner and Carol, when she's first in the car, you know, she's all touching the gear shift and, you know, yeah. what's that, what's that? And she takes that thing and he's like, no. And then he ends up giving that to her when he drop- yeah. when she- when he drops her off at the house and it's like hmm <laughs> yeah yeah definitely an echo there and it's uh it's very strong i mean it's just he's the guy yeah i mean there's so many heroes in this thing like you know you you watch steve and steve seems to ha- he seems to have the perfect life he's he's like you know king and queen of the homecoming he and cindy williams are there you know being king and queen of the home company and it, i know this is somebody else's minute but i mean you you find out that he's just he really is a a, a a dunderhead. He doesn't understand that, you know, he has the best girl in the world and he's like, oh, I should really just, you know, 
uh, we need to play the field once we get to college, and it's just idiot. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, but people want to be Steve, and people, you know, and people want to be John. But they've all got they've all got their own problems. They've all got oh gosh, it's um, I don't know, this just went out of my head. He's like the guy in um in Breakfast Club, you know, smoke him up, Johnny. Uh, Judd Nelson. I can't remember his character name, but <laughs> yeah, he. But he, you know, it, it's like these are people that you want to be, but you don't want you you want to be as cool as Miller. You want to be as big man on campus as Steve. But they've all got their own problems. He's a lonely guy. He doesn't have he doesn't have a girl. He has you know he has Mackenzie Phillips, and it's it's he's and he talks about being a babysitter, but he wants to be you know this is years before it. it, He wants to be the catcher in the rye. He wants to be the guy that takes care of people, and and we see that. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get into that in the next minute, but uh, but we see that he he is pretty much a caretaker, and he's he feels a responsibility to the people who look up to him, which is pretty much everybody in town. Yeah, I just just so en- enjoy all of the storytelling here. It uh, Lucas is still working his way through it, but I think he he manages to tell the story, and we identify with just about everybody in the film. We can see uh, how they how they look at life, and they're all they're all working on their very brave fronts. But just just enjoyable. And uh, speaking of Milner, I think one line that kind of stuck to, with me in this is um, near the end when he and the gas station attendant are talking. And they're talking about, you know, he always saw him as number one and um, basically just about, you know, growing up and everything. And Milner says, been a long time, ain't it? And just the way he says it and kind of the context, to me, it seems that he was kind of reflecting on his life as it is now after he had graduated high school. And he kind of feels like, what, what does he have to show for, you know, being Mr. Number One? You know, is that all that his life means right now? Like, what more can he, does he have? Yeah. It's it's interesting that everybody in this has some kind of regret. Toad wishes he was more of a, more of a someone. He just wishes you know he he has that little Vespa scooter or whatever, and he you know he wants to be he wants to be Steve. Steve wants to be the hotshot. Uh, Milner wants to be grown up. He doesn't he he's afraid to lose this life that he's familiar with. But it's like he knows the party's coming to an end. He can't it can't be an endless summer, which I think is why he hates the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> the Beach Boys always sound very happy and you know easygoing and stuff like that. But you know he he he's kind of in the same situation as Wolf. Uh, everybody in this is is like Wolfman. He you know he tells people who who he thinks he is, but in his quietest moments, he's not who everybody thinks he is. Yeah, and and, and that's another one. I mean, there's so many great minutes, so many great moments in this in this film. It, it has rewatchability and. And it also has this movies by minutes capability where you can just sit and look at a scene and go, wow, they really packed this with a bunch of stuff. It's amazing. And like these few minutes that we have that don't have any songs, because as we tried to break it up song by song, there are some minutes that don't have any, but they're just as hard hitting and effective. I've had a lot of minutes talking about they're very quiet minutes, but they're so very chock full of nuance and just details about characters and it's it's great yeah yeah and it doesn't you know there's there's no there's no special effects either i mean lucas was known as king of special effects later on but in this it's just it's just like a, a camera that looks like you know it, it it's shooting the cheapest way you can film on on 35 millimeter and uh you know it just it just looks very 
there, you don't see any money in the scene except for, you know, they had to rent an old car, which at the time was only 10 years old or, you know, it, it's within their thing. And a lot of this, a lot of the stuff they didn't have to, uh, they didn't have to backdate. I mean, they were old. There were old gas stations that looked like this back in the 70s. So, but just, yeah, just a beautiful, it's a beautiful snapshot of, uh, of what, what that time and a place was or what it meant to Lucas and people who grew up in his era. And it still speaks to us now, which is great. I can't get over that we're coming up on, you know, 50 years of <laughs> this. It's just mind blowing. But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, it's people 50 years from now will still understand what's going on because these are very timeless, uh, timeless ideas. No matter what the you know accoutrements are around it. So I want to touch back on near the beginning when we have Toad and Debbie and you know the wonderful crowd watching them. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, Ralph up his guts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just love first of all just how nonchalant Debbie is because yeah. one guy is kind of just like wow you know. Pretty much saying like, yeah, he's never, has he ever drank before? And Debbie's like, oh yeah, he says he drinks all the time, a lot. <laughs> and just how, you know, she's nonchalant, but she's still trying to help him maintain his kind of cool factor, as cool as you can be in a moment like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's totally not, I mean, she's one of the least self-conscious people in this movie. I think she doesn't. She doesn't care what people think of her. She when when somebody tells her, you know, you look like you look like uh, uh, Connie Francis, or you look like, um, uh, you know, she he, she kept dropping all these different names of people that that she thought she looked like, and, and it was just something somebody else had said to her, and she was like, "Really, you think that, huh?" And you know, it, it's she's very much taking life as it comes to her. She's not afraid of any of anything. I mean, she could just you know, she meets some boy and drop jumps in her car in their car. <laughs> it's like. But she's very, I would, you know, just the opposite of anxious. So we see her, you know, he's like you said, get in his car and then go and um, out to the uh, canal and then see the car get stolen and then talk about the goat killer. And (laughs) she just takes everything as it comes. Even when she's talking about the goat killer, she's like, and then this happened and this. And, you know, getting uh, getting poor Toad very upset about everything. But she's like, yeah, that, that. that's happy, you know. It's um, and just beautiful hearing the you know the classic urban legends all the time. There's a hook in the door, thing like that. So it's uh, it's all just beautiful stuff. And yeah, but she's so <laughs> she's somebody you want to bump into if you're asking them out on a first date. Like, well, I hope they can handle it when I'm tossing up my cookies in the back of a, mm. uh, a used car lot. <laughs> and I just love how automatically he you know is clutching on to the hood of that other car, and then he sees that Impala, and it's yeah. like a switch is hit, and he He's like automatically like, oh my gosh, it's the car. It's the car. And he's just like nothing, nothing happened. Like nothing bad had just happened to him because <laughs> he found yeah. Steve's car. <laughs> it's it's like, it's like, I mean, they, that's, his, that's his personal MacGuffin. And you know what? Richard Dreyfuss has the blonde and the T-bird and it, they've all have their goals. And here he's, he's made a minor, he's made a minor goal. He's found it now. All he has to do is start it up and get it out of there. And, and you know, they're in like Flynn. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but just uh yeah it, it's it's really nice watch watching his character he's such everybody that you of people that you root for i think you root for you well, i don't know if you root for milner i think you root for you root for richard dreyfus and you root root for toad uh, i don't think you root for steve i don't steve doesn't come across as a likable character meet in this i don't but you 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 do Root for Cindy Williams, though I think she's yeah she she's very very much you know he pulls he pulls this the night before they're leaving, 
And just that um, she, you know, she kicks him out of the car when he's trying yeah. to <laughs> make the yeah, moves yeah. and... Yeah, it's yeah. He, she's she's had enough of him, but you know, it will they'll they'll resolve it in their own way. But uh, I try to figure. You know, a lot of people complain that uh, in Phantom Menace there's no main character, but I don't think there is a main character in this one. We kind of we follow a, a bunch of main characters. I mean, there's I think there's like four, maybe four or five subplots that are going on at the same time. And uh, we're just seeing as, as each of them progress, and some of them sometimes they intersect, and sometimes they go back. So it's you're kind of watching a, a mini series here. There's you know there's a bunch of different episodes that just happen to overlay each other. I think Toad is this. If you want to get the most central story, well, you can fight between Richard Dreyfus with the with the Pharaohs and getting you know getting through the getting through the night uh, and finding finding the girl and the T bird. But I think Toad is the main character. I just can't. Uh, if I were going to pick somebody, I, I would think Toad, Toad's story is the main one. You know, and the other thing is, I mean, when, when Lucas decided to use Wolfman Jack and listening to the radio and hearing different pop songs, the way we watch this show is the way you listened to radio back then. You'd, you know, you'd, you'd listen to something for a while and you'd change the station and find something else or find something if something's better on. And it, that's what it feels like. It feels like you're rolling the dial back and forth, back between the, the different characters. So uh, just very, yeah, it, it, it's amazing how it's a non, well, I mean, the individual stories are linear, but it's told in a non-linear linear manner move it along yeah. could we consider the cars the main character in this <laughs> movie <laughs> yeah they have their own adventures on themselves i mean this one gets you know get, gets a new owner and they gets it gets to pick up candy clark and then they go goes it gets to go to the canal and gets stolen and then gets hot wired and then gets you know un, unstolen and then steve takes it and yeah it's they're, they they do have their own. I mean, this is this is Toad's Millennium Falcon. Although I think the Millennium Fal- the, the Millennium Falcon in this piece, I think, is Milner. I think Milner is yeah. I think he's the Han Solo of the piece, which would make Carol the Wookiee, I guess, or maybe not. Is she the Wookiee or is she Princess Leia? That's a that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I don't know. And yeah, there's just uh, there's, there ain't enough minutes to talk about this movie. There's just so much to to go through in in thinking about you know the different characters of, of of Carol and then playing her off as being in danger even though Milner knew he, she was he wasn't putting her in danger he got her to you know cough up information by acting like she was he was she was in danger yeah it's uh you can t- you can take it at face value as saying this is a lighthearted romp in the last night at you know the, the last night of uh, of being a high schooler but it's it's very complex and very um, nuanced I would think would be the best word it's a very nuanced uh, story story of I mean you're looking you're basically watching a season's worth of thirty minute episodes that are that are all interlaced with each other so it's just a fascinating way of telling a story. And I always think of, we talk, you know, about the cars and everything during this movie. And do you, I, I always think, you know, looking at the cars we drive today and that are manufactured today, do you think that they lose out on something looking at how cars back in when this is set in like the 60s, like 50s and 60s were presented? I mean, they were all kind of, I mean, we say classic now, but I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we look at them, we say, wow, that's a very, you know, that, that's a very original looking and unusual car. And it is to us. But back in the day, the Impala, the, this this Impala that he's driving there, well, it's a very pretty car and has a really nice, that, uh, that tuck and roll upholstery and, uh, you know, it has a couple of features on it. Like it has that customized steering wheel and things. That was, the everybody had an Impala. There were, I, when I was growing up, the, the fellow across the street from me had a 64 Impala that was a, uh, it was bright, it was uh, pull me over red, they used to call it. It was 
it, it was it was it was a bright red. It, it was a convertible, so it was this real. I mean, it looked like a sled when you know, he'd pull up and you know you'd see this hot red uh, Impala. But every my, my dad had an Impala. Um, my dad used to drive. I remember when I was a kid, he had a. Uh, it was you know G, he used to buy GM cars while he was a Pontiac, more of a man, and he uh, he owned a Pontiac Sky Chief, a '58 Sky Chief. Then he bought a uh, he bought a '64. Catalina, and then he bought a uh, he bought a used '63 Grand Prix. Oh, and that that '60 '63 Grand Prix was an amazing car. It had I, I don't know what the zero to sixty was, but it used to, the gas gauge and the speedometer used to take off in different directions. I think it got about <laughs> eight miles per gallon. Oh my god! But it had f- four barrel carburetor, and you never had to worry about pull. Uh, that's that's the car I learned how to drive in. I went from that to a uh, a Dodge Dart Swinger with a slant two twenty five engine, which had absolutely no pickup at all. I mean, you'd step on the gas and you'd slow speed up into traffic but uh you know you see those cars now and you go wow that's a classic but back then it was just it was a workaday car you know there's unusual vehicles in here a lot of the times you see an old like a 32 vehicle and you think wow that's a classic that's an ancient car but the thing was it was these were pulled out of junkyards because people didn't have a lot of money so you you'd buy an old car and you'd fix it up so you'd see a lot of older cars driving around simply because it was cheap but now you know nowadays this is stuff you'd see at a car show or they'd be selling for five figures but uh yeah and, and to answer your original question do you know do cars still have uh that part of us i think i think they do it depends you know some, sometimes you get a uh, a workaday car but then there's you'll see you'll see i have a i have a a friend uh, in town here who has a a mclaren which is a it's basically a, a race car i mean it's this beautiful bright orange car it's you know it's, it's this gorgeous low slung thing it's not very practical but it's you know he has it and he loves it so you know i have i have an electric car i have my tesla and i've never been so much enamored of a car until i got uh, until i got a tesla and now it's like it's weird because i've never had a I've never had a car that people stop me in parking lots and say, you know, can I look in your car? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, people people go through and, and want to look at the car because it's something new. Now, in, you know, 10 years from now, people will be driving electric cars and they'll be going, oh, yeah, okay, you got a Tesla. I've got a, I've got a Volkswagen or I've got, a, you know, an electric car. But at the time, it's it's kind of novel. It's new and, and people want to see it because they don't, you know, they've never seen cars where you can sit in them and watch Netflix or have the car, you know, pull out of a garage by itself. So I, I guess it's changed. We don't we don't work on them our, ourselves. I mean, I, you see these people working, you know, working in their backyards. They have a they can pull an engine out or things like that. But generally, people don't. I don't think many people change their own oil nowadays. It's you know you go to you go to Jiffy Lube and pay somebody and they they do it and then you're you're done and you don't have to you don't have to get rid of five quarts of oil somewhere. So it's I think the. The do-it-yourself part of it has gone, but I, th- I still think there's lots of customizations that people buy. They stick, you know, they they'll they'll fill the back of their car with bumper stickers, or they'll put they'll put those LED lights underneath the underneath the wheels, or they'll buy outsized tires. I mean, you see that a lot in the pickup truck and and Jeep culture. You know, pe- people love making it one of a kind or making it more of their own than just something that they drove off a lot. But I, I think it's less do-it-yourself. I think it's more paying somebody else to to do it for you. And especially the more smart technological wise that cars get, the more computer, you know, the more computer components yeah. that make up that, you know. Yeah, you got to find somebody that can talk to your car. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's a it's a different world. I mean, I, I I much prefer driving a newer car than than these older ones. I mean, they they're all very pretty cars, but if you've ever ridden one, the the springs are not like modern suspension. It's it, they're, they're, it's very uncomfortable, uh, especially if you're driving long distances. The maintenance on it is incredible. There's so much stuff that you have to replace and repair. I mean, and our our cars our cars are are better. Like they're they have better fit and finish to them. You don't you, there's not a lot of wiggle in the uh, in the doors don't wiggle when you close the the windows don't whistle. The cars are better made nowadays. And you're also safer in them too. You have, you know, steering wheel, yeah, steering wheels that collapse and seat belts and, and airbags and stuff like that. I mean, these things were flying death traps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're beautiful to look at, but I'm, I don't think I'd want to, I don't think I want to own a classic car. Well, did you have anything more for Section 43, or are we ready to move on to how to hotwire a car? <laughs> yeah, okay. I know we can we can talk, we can talk about uh, about that in the in the next batch. The uh, I do like uh, I have to say I I, I love Candy Clark's uh, uh, dress, and I am not sure, but I think like about ten years ago I had a shirt made out of that material. I had like a blue and white. Shirt. I, I look like I could have joined a barbershop quartet, but I really enjoyed. I missed I missed that shirt. It was very comfortable, nice summertime shirt. But uh, she's got good taste in uh, in, in dress material. All right. Well, if that's all you have, I think I covered all of my notes for right. 43. Um, did you have any anything you wanted to plug? I guess um, as we're doing this in the summertime, we're still uh, we're still going through the, my group project, uh, Movies by Minutes group uh, project. We have 18 groups of Movies by Minutes uh, podcasters uh, joining us to talk about the 1946 William Wyler film, The Best Years of Our Lives, A Minute at a Time. It, we have It's just amazing. People have some of the most incredible guests and the most incredible discussions about this uh, eight-time Academy Award-winning film from 1946. I mean, 75 years ago, but it's still, it, like this film, it holds up today. Uh, you can find that out at uh, wherever you're getting, probably wherever you're picking up uh, American Graffiti, you can probably uh, pick up our show. Uh, look for, uh, it's also available at our big site, thebestminutes.com. Also available on iTunes, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you got this one, you can probably find find ours out there. Look for The Best Minutes Podcast. And listeners to American Graffiti, one song at a time. Look for us on all your social media. We are at Mel's Listeners Drive-In. And join us here tomorrow when we talk about Section 44 and we cover the song Chantilly Lace by The Big Box. He's really fast, isn't he? Oh!